welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. continuing our series called Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries. And we're up to part eight. And basically this series is an overview. Everyone say overview. It's an overview of the book of Acts. And so if I um, quickly go over an uh, aspect of the book of Acts that's your favorite verse and I leave it out or I don't highlight it, I'm sorry about that. But we don't have time to go over every word and every scripture and every sentence in the book of Acts. So this is just an overview. And I trust that through us going through the book of Acts, it will give us a great love for the word of God and it it would mobilize and motivate the church to action. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about action. It's about about the church being mobilized and doing something great for God. And already we've covered many topics such as the uh, ascension of Christ and the Holy Spirit and persecution, hypocrisy, leadership. This morning we looked at people, we called it the good, the bad and the ugly. And we looked at people because church is people. And tonight I've entitled my message, Blinded by the Light. We're going to be reading part, uh, sorry, um, Chapter 9, and looking at Saul's conversion. Okay, Um, Saul was a man that was very zealous and very religious and very passionate about what he believed. But his zeal and passion was misguided. And so he used his misguided passion and zeal to persecute the Christian church. He put Christians to death. The first Christian martyr was a man by the name of Stephen, and we looked at his life this morning. And uh, that kind of motivated Paul to go on, a, uh, on a, an evangelistic spree to um, put the Christian church to death and to hardship. And so we're picking up the story there. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found any that belonged to the way or Christian truth, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Go on, laugh, get it out. <laughs> they heard this. There's a young laugh. They didn't even know what you're laughing at. But anyway, <laughs> they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore restore, his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, the Word of God is so rich And there's so much to draw from when it comes to the Scriptures. And uh, we could be here all night just delving into what I've read tonight. But what I've tried to do is break it down and look at a few things. And sometimes in order to look at a few things, you've got to leave some things out. And so as we read these 20 verses tonight, there's a few things I want to draw to your attention about Saul and his conversion, and how that applies to our life today. It's no good just having history. It's no good just having understanding of the Word of God if we don't know how to apply it today, and if we don't know what it means for us today. And so the biggest part of my job is not just understanding the Word of God, not just getting the, the context of the Scriptures, but it's knowing how to apply it to help us in 2012, some 2,000 years after these events happened. Having said that then, the first thing that stands out to me about this portion of Scripture is this, and it is good news, I might add, it's simply this, that no one is too far from God. You've got to catch this. This is good news. The gospel simply means this, good news. The gospel is good news. By definition, gospel means good news. That no one is too far from God. No one is beyond God's reach. God is bigger than any one of man's problems. Here we have a guy by the name of Saul. And he's zealous and he's passionate, but he's going around killing the very people God wants to use as an instrument to propagate the gospel. And unlike many of us who panic when bad things happen, God is actually rubbing his hands together and thinking, this circumstance and this situation is going to be turned around together for good. Because while people are afraid of this guy, I've got plans for this guy. No one is too far from God. No one is too far gone. And it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've said, it doesn't matter what you've experienced, it doesn't matter what you've been through, you are welcome here tonight. This church exists for people just like you. You might say, oh, but Tony, you don't know what I've done. And that's exactly right. I don't, but God does. That's the cool thing. God knows you more intimately than I know you, and God knows you more intimately than you know yourself. God knows you. He sees you. 
He knew you before you was even born. That's how well he knows you. That's how intimately he knows you. And in spite of all your shortcomings, in spite of all the junk in the trunk in your life, God loves you and he's committed to you, just like he was committed to this man. I mean, here's a guy who is killing people. I mean, that's pretty serious. And it wasn't just anybody. It was God's people. And God says, I can use him. He's not too far gone. I mean, that's good news. Is there anyone in this room who is guilty of killing Christians? I don't mean you wanted to and you've thought about it. I'm talking about you've actually done it. Then then it's good news. If Paul can reach out to this man, what it's saying to us, and this may shock you. this, This may shock you. Just imagine for a moment if Adolf Hitler became a Jew. No. Never. After putting all those Jews to death in the gas chambers, never. That's what we've got here. We've got a guy putting Christians to death and he becomes a Christian. Think about that. What a sovereign God. What a loving God. I mean, this is, this is inconceivable. Little wonder the scriptures say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has in mind. We can't conceive it. It's too big. We serve a big God. Turn to the person next to you and say, we serve a big God. So no one is too far from God. No matter what you've done. And we don't have to go back to when, when we was a kid and when we kicked the cat. Like I keep saying, you won't be, you'll be rewarded in heaven if you kick a cat. Let me tell you. No, no, Sharon, I didn't say that. Just wrote that off the tape. Not that we have tapes anymore. But you don't have to go back to your childhood. What about this morning? What about this afternoon? There's nothing in our past that God is not able to deliver you from and help you through. He's a God who sees all and he knows all. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. You can't hide from God. He sees all and he knows all and that's what makes him God. You can run, but you can't hide. Remember Jonah? Jonah was that guy that eventually got swallowed by a big, large, humongous fish. Why? Because he was running from God. God asked him to do something. He said, no. Not going to do it. And so instead of going to where God told him to go, 
he turned around and went in the exact opposite direction. And he thought he could run away from God. And God got a hold of him. And he eventually ends up exactly where God wanted him to. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When God's on your case, you're history. You can fight him. And you can struggle. And you can say, I'm not and I won't. But eventually, this loving, all-consuming, relentless God is going to wear you down. And that's a good thing. Many of us are in this room tonight, having said, I'm never going to become a Christian. I'm not going to church. And here you are. I was never going to be doing what I'm doing now. Let me tell you, I was never, I will never, ever. I'm not doing that. And here I am. Can you imagine Paul as he's putting people to death? As he's standing there giving approval, as Stephen's being stoned, and someone walks up and says, Hey, by the way, Paul, one day you're going to become a Christian. Never! Not me, no way! Don't be so stupid! No one is too far from God. And I love that. Doesn't matter what you've done. And if you are visiting here tonight and you're not sure about God, Christianity, or religion, You are welcome, and we welcome your questions. Had one gentleman recently visit us for the very first time, and he caught up with me, and he said, you know what, I don't know about all this God stuff, but but I I like the positive energy of this place, and so I'd like to come back a bit more if that's okay. I said, absolutely, absolutely, you're welcome. And if you're feeling the same, you're welcome. Had a woman respond this morning in commit a life to Christ, which is awesome becoming four or five weeks and she said I just, I just can't get over the warmth and the friendliness of the people that you just got something I need I love that I don't know this woman's background and every intimate detail of her past but God does God loves her and we celebrate what God is doing in her life and she's welcome and so are you no one is too far from God And that's why, for me, I get so annoyed at what religion has done to Christianity. Religion has turned the relationship that God desired with his people into a list of rules and regulations. And if you don't do this, we're going to make you feel bad. And if you do do this, we're going to pat you on the head. Because you've been a good boy or a good girl. And Christianity knows nothing of that. Christianity is a relationship with God. And out of that relationship, we receive instructions to protect because we love people. And we give advice that's helpful because we love people. It's a massive difference. Religion is trying to earn your way to God. It's the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every religion in the world is about man trying to get to God. Christianity is about God coming to man. When Paul was breathing murderous threats to the church, God comes and intervenes. No one is too far from God.
The second thing I want to draw from this account is that we need to humble ourselves or we will be humbled. Have you ever heard the saying, get off your high horse? It simply means to humble yourself. To stop acting as if you're better or more intelligent than someone. And here's the thing, if you don't get off your high horse, you might just be knocked off your high horse. Paul was riding into Damascus on his high horse, ready to put the early church to death and arrest some people, and God comes and knocks him off his high horse. It's pretty humiliating. Have you ever been knocked off your high horse? I have. It's humiliating. There is a better way. It's to humble yourself. It's to recognize that you're being arrogant. It's to recognize that you're on a high horse and actually to step off it yourself. In Proverbs 19 verse 21, it says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I had a lot of of plans for my life. A lot of plans. Doing this was not one of them. And guess whose purpose prevailed? God's. And I must say, in me being here tonight, there's been a number of occasions where it's been me being knocked off my high horse. But as I've got older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I've learned the wisdom in deferring to God's wisdom And so instead of letting God humble me, I found it's much better if I humble myself. Either way, you will be humbled. And my thinking is, if you're going to be humbled, you may as well make it the way that's the least embarrassing. You may as well make it the least painful. You may as well take the quickest route instead of the longest route. In Matthew 23, verse 12, it says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that says to me, we will be humbled one way or the other. But if we will choose to humble ourselves, and that's all Christianity is, it's us humbling ourselves. It's us acknowledging that we are not Lord and Master of our own life. It's us acknowledging that there is one who is greater, wiser, stronger, more powerful than we are. And it's us surrendering and deferring to his wisdom and his strength. And to do that, it takes humility. And I would encourage every person in this room tonight to think about what I'm saying and to humble yourself. We see the thing that got Adam and Eve into trouble in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden was that they entertained this notion that they could be like God. And that's the problem. Many people want to be like God. They want to be their own God. But if we will humble ourselves and let God be God in our lives, then the Bible tells us that we will be exalted. So no one is too far from God. We need to humble ourselves or we're going to be humbled. 
The third thing I want to draw from this account is that connection is crucial. What I love about this account is that when Saul had this incredible God encounter, had this incredible moment with God, God didn't send him on his way to do his own thing. But he sent him to a fellow Christian. He sent him to someone who could help him, who could grow him, who could establish him. You see, God knows nothing of the concept of isolation. Even God is a triune God. He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit. There's this incredible teamwork in the Trinity. Now, if it was just about Saul getting better, don't you think God could have healed him? God could have restored his sight? God could have done it all. But God has created the earth and created our lives in such a way that we need one another. God knows nothing of Christians living in isolation. Someone said that the strength in what I do is directly determined by what I am connected to. And so here we have a man, Saul, who couldn't see. And it was Ananias that took him in. It was Ananias that cared for him. It was Ananias that prayed for him. And after he prayed for him, the Bible says that something of like scales fell from his eyes. And as Christians, it's our job to help people to see what they cannot see. That's, a, that's our job as Christians. It's our job as the church. Our key role as the church is to help people see what they presently cannot see. Jesus said many times, you've heard it said this, but I tell you something else. To help them see differently, to help them think differently, to help them act differently, to help them speak differently. As a church... Our role is to say, in university, you've heard it said that we came from monkeys. But I want to tell you something else. That's our role, is to help people see what they can't presently see. And that's exactly what Ananias did for Saul. He helped him to see when he was blind. And that's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take care. Church is God's family on earth. I want you to catch this. God loves his church. And he takes it very personally when we mock his church. Paul, or sorry, Saul, he later became Paul, but Saul was on his way to Damascus to what? Persecute the church. That, that was why he was going, yeah? So Paul's on his high horse going to Damascus to destroy the church. And he has this God encounter. He meets the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's Jesus that stands before him. And these are the words he says. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? 
Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Paul would have been within his right to say, hang on, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. What Jesus is saying is, you touch the church, you touch me. Leave her alone. She might not be perfect. She might have a few blemishes and a few spots and a few wrinkles. She may have an ugly side, but don't touch her. Don't speak ill of her. But pray for her, love her, serve her. Can you see that? This notion that you can be a Christian, give your life to Jesus, and then do whatever you want to do. The Bible speaks nothing of it. God knows nothing of isolation. God only knows community. And every local church is a community, a part of the family of God. And we have a responsibility to God and we have a responsibility to his church. Church for the believer should be a priority because it's a priority of Christ. Why are you persecuting me? When we touch the church, Jesus takes it personally. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider. That means we have to take time and stop and think. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now you just take that for a moment. If we consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, would the answer then be to not come to church, to not give, to not serve, to not volunteer? Surely you can't come up with that if you really consider how we might spur one another on. I think that might discourage some people. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, if you're young and you're single and you desire to be married and, and, and you say to me, what's the best premarital advice I can give you? It's this. Put your hand up and volunteer in the local church. Serve Christ's bride. Church is the bride of Christ. That's what the Bible says. And if you want to prepare yourself for another, if you want to prepare yourself for marriage, the best way to do that is to serve and volunteer in the local church. Because that's what marriage is. It's serving one another. The reason people get married and have so many problems is because they haven't learned to serve. They've only learned to self-serve. But marriage is the exact opposite. And so through serving in the local church, we break selfishness and we prepare ourselves for another. And so the best pre-marriage advice I can give to anyone is to get planted into a local church and serve somewhere, somehow. It doesn't mean that you're going to be up till three o'clock in the morning every night. That may be called occasionally. Because even in marriage, that may be called for, especially when you've got kids. Can you see the correlation? 
But in order for us to serve the way I'm talking about, as Christians, we have to get over ourselves. And we have to stop holding people's past against them. When God was trying to motivate Ananias to serve and to help this man, his first response was, oh, but I've heard about that guy. At that moment, Ananias is arguing with God and he's choosing to believe the report of man over God's word. And that's where the battle is. Ananias almost missed a moment because he was holding Saul's past against him. How many opportunities and moments do we miss because we know that person? We had someone come in our building recently, and I'm so glad they were here. And because he has a past, I had some policeman friends who were in the meeting come up to me straight after the service and let me know a certain person was here and wanted to know if I knew this person was here. And I said, I'm aware of the person you're talking about, but as for what you're aware about this guy, I know nothing of it, and I'm glad I don't. You see, one of my greatest joys about being in South Africa recently, and in actual fact, my greatest highlight of South Africa was Benno. Watching him minister in another context where people just received him was, was the thrill of my trip. And, and I contemplated what that was. Everything Benno said, they gobbled up. And as I was thinking about why that was, I got to thinking, I wonder if it's because he was going into a context where they know nothing of his past. They know nothing of his journey. They know nothing of his mistakes. And they were able to receive him as he is right now. So much so that one young man says, it's all right for you, Tony, you've got a Benno. We don't have a Benno. We need a Benno. And I smiled at myself. And I thought, how many times have we written off people and I think about the people that have written off Benno, the people that have written off you, and the people that have written off me. Because the thing about the local church, the thing about family, is you get to see people warts and all. You get to see their journey, which means you get to see their mistakes. In South Africa, they haven't seen Benno's mistakes. They haven't seen some of the dumb, stupid, incredibly embarrassing, ridiculous things that he's done. But no more stupid than I've done. And I think it's an incredible statement when we can stay in a local church for a long period of time and see people with all their failings and shortcomings and just love them and see the journey. I think, I think that's the miracle of the church. You know, God opening people's eyes, God raising their that's miraculous, absolutely. But that's got nothing to do with humanity. That's just all God. But when God can so invade a heart that we can love the unlovely, 
that we can love our enemies, that we can overlook an offense, that we can overlook people's mistakes and shortcomings and live together. See, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is the resolution of conflict. And that's why I take every moment I can to celebrate the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not not to condone bad behavior, but to celebrate how we got through it. We joked this morning in our meeting about three of our staff lifting their voice, having a go at each other on our working beat. I mean, it was a great day, don't get me wrong. We got lots done. But I cannot stand up here and say categorically that it wasn't without its moments. Because whenever you're trying to get a job done, whenever you're trying to raise a family, moments happen. There's no parent in this room that can say they've never had a moment with their kids. So why should church be any different? This is a family. It's a family. A flippin' annoying one at times. Turn to the person and say, you're annoying. (laughs) Now turn back to the very same person and say, but I love you. (laughs) There's this unrealistic, unrealistic expectation and notion that the church has to be this perfect, we're family. And the reason is not the reason this church is not perfect is because of you. Be perfect without you and me. This building has no problems when it's empty. All the problems happen when we get in here. No smoke alarm, no, no smoke alarms go off when the building's empty, just when we're here. We're the problem. We've got to stop this judging. We've got to stop holding people's past against them. We've got to start having faith for people. And Ananias came to his senses and overcame his prejudice and did exactly what God said. The fact that there was conflict isn't the issue. The fact there was a moment between Ananias and God and his, that's fine. But I love the fact he settled. I love the fact he surrendered. I love the fact that he surrendered to God. I love that. I haven't got here today by saying yes to everything God's asked me to do straight away. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I go on kicking and screaming. But you know what? Better to go kicking and screaming than not go at all. Better to have three men on staff shouting at each other. I mean... So loud that I was in my office working away. They were down the other end of the room, other end of the, just way away. And it was like they were just here. It was was that loud. And I'm working away on my computer. I'm just laughing. Now, I don't know if that makes me sick in your eyes. Maybe it does. But this is the church I want to be part of. Because you know at that moment, this is what I knew, like I knew, like I knew, like I knew. This is what I knew. They'll sort it out. And I reckon within 24 hours, we're going to be laughing about this. And all of you have laughed. Not only they laugh, we're going to laugh. We're going to celebrate those things. We're not condoning. 
We're saying it's part of reality, and this is how we deal with it. Better that than us putting our head in the sand. But we shouldn't be. This shouldn't happen. This is church. It shouldn't happen. No, it does. Stuff happens. If I was in another context, I might say it a different way. But stuff happens. Life is good. People are beautiful. God is great. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.